What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. You have these moments that are the enough is enough moment, the okay, we can't ride with this anymore moment. You saw it with Emmett Till, where you see that open casket in 1955, and, and, and there's a segment of the population that says, okay, we can't, we can't do this anymore. And you notice then, of course, you have the Montgomery bus boycott less than a year later. You have the 16th Street Baptist Church. Even the segregationists, even they were sort of like, you can't blow up a church with children. You can't do that. Okay, there's your enough is enough moment. Welcome to the Edge of Sports podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. Uh, this week has been absolutely historic at the intersection of sports and politics. Uh, league after league uh, walking away from their sport in protest of racism. Player after player doing the same. Uh, it's been remarkable. We're still trying to get our heads around everything that's taken place. And I can't imagine a better person to talk to to, to actually speak it through and to figure it out. Uh, he's the author of Full Dissidence and many other amazing books. Uh, he's the author of Heritage, which is an absolutely all-encompassing book about the history of the black athlete. His name is Howard Bryant. First, Howard, I just guess you big picture. Um, you know, it's it's Wednesday. It's about four o'clock. We're starting to hear that the Milwaukee Bucks are staying in their locker room and not coming out to play. What was your reaction when this all started to happen? Well, my initial reaction was to be very cautious and to play out. When the news started to come out, the first question I wanted to know was whether or not this was an individual action. Was this a forfeit? Were they actually risking something? Were they choosing not to play? As it, are the Milwaukee Bucks really giving up a playoff game? And then you find out that the Orlando Magic were in solidarity with them. And then the entire slate of games got canceled. Rockets, Thunder, Lakers, Trailblazers. 
And so then I started to think, okay, was this a negotiation? What is the negotiation taking place right now? And while that was taking place, I turned on my television and the Islanders and the Flyers were in overtime in the NHL playoffs. And I was getting text messages from some of my hockey friends who were saying, isn't this a disgrace that the that the NHL is still playing because the Bruins were playing later that night against the fight. So I was thinking as this was a coordinated action, and then you see Naomi Osaka make her proclamation or when she came out and she made her statement that she wasn't going to play the next day. And so now you're starting to see something that is unprecedented. The refusal to play across sports. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've never seen this before. So then, of course, you start thinking about this in terms of in terms of what it actually means. Who's behind it? What's taking place? How did this go down? Is all of this organic? Who is the leadership? And you see Mookie Betts and the Dodgers not wanting to play. The Mariners not wanting to play. And then obviously the rest of it took its course. And so to me, the very first thing that I began to think about was what are the negotiations that are going on here? Is this a is this a statement by the sports by the sports community or is this an organic individual action by individual players and you started to see the speed in which the wildcat tried to become coordinated by the leagues okay it's like okay well none of us are going to play and so then i should have to just take another step back and just think as well well okay This is, if you are the NHL or if you're Major League Baseball or whomever, this is important because you wrote a really big check for the past three months. You've been saying that Black Lives Matter, you've been sloganeering with it, it suddenly feels mainstream. You you have co-opted it now into your business model the same way you've co-opted the military and policing into your business model. Mm-hmm. So what is it? What does it actually mean if you're not going to honor a moment like this? So obviously, I think that the real one that hit me was the WNBA, of course, with the white T-shirts with Jacob Blake's initials on the front of his on the front of their shirts, and then all the the bullet holes in the back. And so to me, my after looking at all of this accumulation, I was like, okay, let's take a step back and try to process. Let's just let's just watch a little bit more and see what happens. Wow. Now you're a baseball guy. Um, for years we've heard that the absence of black American players in the game is why the Black Lives Matter movement has not resonated in Major League Baseball the way it had in football and in basketball. Why do you think it found purchase there so quickly? Because that that was the real part for me where my eyebrows went up when it went right from the NBA to the Milwaukee Brewers. You had Josh Hader in front of the microphone saying that it's not right for us to play. I mean, it just immediately. Josh Hader of all people. Yeah, Josh Hader of all people. Um, So in this sport that's dominated by white athletes and Latino athletes, uh, where you know your Boston Red Sox have one Black American player, uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. Like, wh- why did it find purchase there so quickly, and did that shock you? Well, I think it goes back to what we were just talking about, 
And and let's let's not forget the NHL as well, which has been able to move forward and say this is not our problem. The world is changing. The world is changing very quickly, and I really believe that the purchase has you know came from the reaction to George Floyd. The corporations in this country wrote an extremely large check, and they decided to ride with this, and they. I, I still believe that, uh, let me see if I can articulate this properly, we're in the middle of a perfect storm. We're still in the middle of a coronavirus storm, and all the rules don't seem to apply this year. The, the opt-in and opt-out rules don't seem to make sense to the way that we traditionally looked at sports, that you can have someone like Tuka Rask, the goalie for the Boston Bruins, opt out of a playoff game 90 minutes before the puck's supposed to drop. And that suddenly you can have a slate of baseball games and three teams have chosen just not to play. And everyone seems to be willing to roll with it. And I think it's a great question to say, okay, well, how did all of this become so fluid in an industry that has been known, especially with the NHL, the NFL, to crack down on any sort of protest, even when the games go on? You take a, a, a knee or you you know, unfurl a banner or something and everyone comes after you. And now all of a sudden it's okay to just not play. So it really is important to take a step back and try to process what we're looking at because it is unprecedented. And I think that to me, I still believe the reason is, is that after George Floyd's death, I think it still goes back to physical protest in the street. I think it goes back to Minneapolis. I think it goes back to New York. I think it goes back to DC. I think that the, the business interests that run this country have decide, decided during that period that they just weren't going to be able to ride with this level of violence anymore. And I, and I think that because of that, when you've got the money of this country behind you, there's no way they could have turned back. What are you going to do? You're going to say Black Lives Matter and Black Lives Matter and Black Lives Matter. And then you look at that video of Jacob Blake and force the players to go play. I mean, this is precisely why they're not playing. So you sort of, I don't want to say they box themselves in because that suggests cynicism. I'm suggesting that this moment was reflected. Everything that this moment was about was reflected watching that Jacob Blake video and there's no turning back. I was talking to a colleague the other day and I was saying that this, that you have these moments that are the enough is enough moment, the okay, we can't ride with this anymore moment. You saw it with Emmett Till, where you see that open casket in 1955, and, and, and there's a segment of the population that says, okay, we can't, we can't do this anymore. And you notice then, of course, you have the Montgomery bus boycott less than a year later. You have the 16th Street Baptist Church, you, you know, and even, even the segregationists the sort of moderate segregationists who felt like this was the way it was. Even they were sort of like, uh, you can't blow up a church with children. You can't do that. Okay, there's your enough is enough moment. And you begin to recognize that something's got to change. I can't be a hardliner on this anymore. And then, of course, it results in civil rights legislation, et cetera, and you move forward there. Even in the trivial, even in the trivial lane, you look at the way that baseball rode through the steroid era and then Barry Bonds hit 73 home runs and then everybody goes okay enough is enough we have to have drug testing this this mm -hmm. has gone too far I, I think I think the George Floyd moment is that moment where 
even the hardliners, you just can't look at those videos anymore and fault these kids and fault this generation, fault these players for making their decisions. It's, enough, it's an enough is enough moment. This, and I, what I mean by that is cumulatively, the last 90 days, the last four months, really have, it's, it's created that, okay, it's, we have to, at the very least, we can't crack down on protests. We're not going to crack down on the police. We're not going to ask anything of them. We're not going to demand anything of them. But we're not going to come down on the players for this because anybody watching that video and watching those videos now has to concede that at least something is wrong, mm-hmm. even if they if, even if they don't ride completely with the idea that the police are at fault. They know that this is not the way. Now, um, you wrote the Heritage, which is a definitive history of not just black athletes in struggle, but also black athletes in a personal struggle with their own sense of belonging in this country, with their own sense of patriotism. Are there any historic parallels that you can draw with what the, to what the players have done? Did any spring to mind to you where you, you thought about either the words or actions of athletes from the past? Well, I didn't make a connection to the past immediately, and I, although I'm sure there are a few, obviously, the 1961 uh, Boston Celtics boycott, Bill Russell, Sam Jones, Casey Jones. And there's that. But what really hit me was the the wording of Naomi Osaka when she said she wasn't going to play. And when she said there are more important things happening than you watching me play, t- than, than, than me, than watching me play tennis. And I loved that when she said that, because what she was really saying is she didn't notice this. She didn't say there are more important things than playing tennis right now. She said there are more important things than you, the public, watching me play tennis. And I sort of love that co-opting because it really did articulate something that does create a foundation uh, for action going forward, which is the message that we are contributing to your distraction. And we're not going to contribute to the distraction. We don't want to be used by the public to get away from your problems. We would rather have you look at what's happening in Kenosha and Minneapolis and D.C. And instead of looking at my serve and my forehand, you need to pay attention to that. And D. Gordon said something very similar with the Mariners, where he said, don't look at us tonight. And I think that that's a very effective articulation when they say, well, what are they working, walking out for? And it's a good counter to the idea that you're here just to entertain us. What the, I thought there was a powerful ownership of this of this day and of these last few days by by saying we're not going to contribute to the bread and circuses here i like that a lot mm. and also like I, I was asked to compare and contrast with the 1960s and on one show and one of the things that came to my mind is how many of our icons from the late 60s come out of these individual sports like boxing like track and field like tennis and because, you know, the team structure can be very conservatizing and create an atmosphere of peer pressure on players to not speak out. And I think the way it's cascaded from team to team to team and, you know, I think probably pulled a ton of players along who maybe weren't thinking this way politically, I think has been a remarkable development. 
Well, I think so too, but I think that I would go in a different direction there. I think that that is a byproduct of that corporate co-opting of this that we talked about earlier. This is not the same as 2014 or 2016 or 2018 or 2019. And the reason is because the corporations have now said it's okay. If the sports leagues had taken a hardline NFL approach, I wonder who would defy them. But they, in June, they told their players, they told the world that it was okay now to go forward with this. So I'm still a bit dubious of some of it. I think it's also the byproduct of having a lot of money and also this sort of COVID cover that people have because of the fluid rules of opting in and opting out and playing and not playing. So I do think there's a perfect storm level going on here. I also wonder when it comes to the slate of games with the Milwaukee Bucks originating with them, would they have walked off the court if the stands were full? Would they have chosen not to come out with a stadium of 18,000 people waiting for them to perform? It's a heck of a lot easier in the bubble. There was nobody there. Mm -hmm. They didn't have to do anything. They had to just walk off the court and go back to their rooms. So if you've got a crazy, raucous house waiting for you to play, especially of your home fans, are you going to do that to your home fans? And are you willing to risk the, the booze and the potential debris getting tossed on the court? All of these different things have to be taken into the context that this is a bizarre, bizarre year. And that there's in the back of everybody's mind at least in the back of a lot of minds, is we shouldn't be out here anyway. Mm -hmm. And so that creates a certain level of license for you to stretch out in your mind and to make different decisions. And I think you mentioned the bubble. I think that's another underreported part of this story that you know players are not just going home to gated communities, going home to their families. You know, they're in this kind of frustrating space. You hear stories about homesickness. There's a lot of, uh, you know, political interactions with players in the WNBA, a lot of sitting around, a lot of downtime. You have to think that that created a hothouse environment, particularly after the shooting of, of Jacob Blake. 100%. And that's what I mean about all the different things that apply here. And this is what happens when something goes down. You have to look at all these different pieces and, and wonder what is a factor and what does not factor into it. And I do feel like because of the, the bizarre circumstances that we're in right now, it's lent itself to different decisions. And I do feel like it's a very... If you're going to make this move, now would be the time. If you're not going to do it now, you're never going to do it. Your corporations have told you it's okay to protest. The corporations have actually added this to the business model, that Black Lives Matter is actually on a pitcher's mound in a major league baseball game, that the Boston Red Sox used one of their tarps to say Black Lives Matter out in the triangle on center field, that we skate for Black Lives is on the jumbotron during an NHL game. The coast is completely clear right now. If you don't have the courage to stand up and make a decision and make a play now, then you are never going to do anything because everyone's telling you it's okay, right? And here's the other thing that I think is very important when you look at what ended up happening with the NBA and the NBA Players Association. 
it's very, very clear that this is not a radical movement, that these guys are being citizens. You look at what they've done, who they've spoken to, the different checks that they've crossed off, the permissions, the negotiations, that they are keeping the mainstream of the NBA very much in the loop. They're not defying their employers. They're working with their employers. They're telling their employers how they feel. Even Naomi Osaka came out and said that she wasn't going to play. And then she tried to parse it by saying, after withdrawing uh, from the championship on Saturday, the, that the WTA knew she wasn't going to play. But she also said that she told the, w, the WTA that she hadn't withdrawn. So how is that going to work? If you don't show up to your match, then that's a forfeit, unless the WTA is also willing to make concessions to work with you. So essentially, if she wasn't, if she's not withdrawing from the tournament, then the tournament is deciding to acquiesce to her wishes and not play. So that makes you wonder how much risk was actually involved, or was this, was this a joint statement from the leagues and the players, or was this a wildcat that the leagues had to respond to? There's a lot happening here. And so when I, I'm sorry, Dave, and so when I listen to the, the, the results of these negotiations that the NBA is going to set up a coalition and that there's going to be, the, the arenas are going to be voting stations, et cetera, you listen to this, you realize that all of these, all of these steps are coloring inside of the lines. And that's okay. That's okay. I mean, and that's exactly appropriate, but I, but the reason why I bring it up is to remind everyone that this is not some radical wildcat. This isn't France where it's like, we're not coming to work and we'll tell you when we are. This is, we are frustrated. And if you notice, the conversation has already been shifted from boycott to strike to pause, moment of reflection. So it will be interesting to see how much agency the players take from this and how much they turn it into partnership. And I think, you know, we have to say that whether or not we understand it as a strike or with the degree of corporate co-optation involved, that this thing is like a, a ball balancing on the tip of a pin at this point. I mean, we don't know where this is going to fall. I mean, and this could go sideways in a very different kind of direction very quickly. I mean, we oh, don't sure know. And the, and the easiest way for it to go sideways is when the leagues say enough is enough. If you don't show up, we're docking your pay and you're forfeiting games, which we, I can expect. I, I don't expect a, a kid gloves approach from the national football league for very long. And that's the sort of the wild, you talk about the wild, the wild card here is, are you really expecting Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft and Roger Goodell and all of these owners who give money directly to Donald Trump to just say, sure, guys, we're not playing on Sunday, even though we've got a really limited window in terms of the coronavirus and everything else. I just think the NFL reaction may be very different. No, certainly. And but I think like the NFL has a couple of weeks to try to figure out how to co-opt this and how to move it into a direction that keeps the trains running on time. 100%. If, there's, if there's another police killing or white vigilante killing in that time, this also goes sideways. Absolutely, it does. And, also, and let's not forget the difference between now and then, which is 
that now you've got citizens involved. You've got really, really powerful citizens. And I'm talking about Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. It's not Colin Kaepernick coming off injury and being a backup as he recovers. It's mm -hmm. it's the Super Bowl winning MVP best player in the league now taking a, a stand. And, and do you want to really go toe-to-toe -to -toe with, with that and this environment? Do you want to be the outlier in this climate? Even the NHL realized in this climate, we got to listen. And so when that happens, the thing that strikes me about all of this as well is, is behind all the scenes here, we're also still talking about labor because the basketball CBA is coming up. The baseball CBA is coming up. So let's also not forget that how the owners and the commissioners of these leagues, how they deal with this issue is going to have a domino effect on how they deal with the rest of their business models. Well, it's, I think it also potentially could have a domino effect on the broader politics of this country. 100%. There's this incredible frustration that people have. Like we marched after George Floyd was killed. We lit up cities after George Floyd was killed. And what has changed? Well, and let's. I was going to say, yeah, and let's not forget that at the end of the day, as we as we really do sort of look and try to understand what's happening here, it all starts with the people. It didn't start with the players. Exactly. It, started, it all started with bodies in the street. It all started with people blocking traffic. It all started with the optics of of the collision between the White House attitude of more police, more aggression, more authority, colliding with the public saying enough is enough is enough. And if you if you pepper spray us on Monday, you're going to have to pepper spray us on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And absolutely, the players got swept up in this because how could you not get swept up in this during an election year as well? So, so much is happening right now. And that's what we mean about when we talk about that perfect storm. One of the things we didn't talk about was that all of this is happening in an election year with nominate with nominating conventions going on at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so the optics of the Republican National Convention going on at a time when the Milwaukee Bucks and the NBA and the WNBA are walking off the field is incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. This country yeah. is coming apart. Yeah, exactly. And it gave people who are just feeling the frustration of being gaslighted by that convention. Uh, it gave people a sense of hope. And ho hope can be very dangerous in this environment and can spread very quickly well beyond where Chris Paul or Michelle Roberts think it can possibly go. I uh, wanted to ask you, you've been generous with your time. I really appreciate it. I wanted to ask you the, about the the news as we're doing this, your response when you heard about, um, to a lot of publicity, the intervention of Barack Obama into this process. Uh, this idea that LeBron and Chris Paul called Barack Obama, they apparently asked him, should we just not play? Should we go back? His advice to them to go back. The news that comes out about how they're gonna be involved in voting partnerships uh, with the league. Uh, does, does, what do you think about that? I mean, is that something we should be um, critical of? Is that are we putting too much weight on o Obama in this process because he's the name and all of it? Like, what was your response when you heard that? 
Well, my response when I heard it was that once again, I mean, Barack Obama, for all of the different attacks he has suffered about being the far left, the far left radical and all of the things that he has gone through for the past 12 years, he's a he's a moderate. He's he's moderate. He's mainstream. He's a believer. He's a unifier. He wants people to negotiate with each other. It was. It, it, it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of this conversation, that, that these players are citizens. They're not radicals. They're citizens. They're also not radical. They're super rich. So you're, you have to also deal with the enormous dollar amounts that these players generate and that these players have in their bank accounts. They're not quitting the league. They are trying to color within the lines. It goes back to one of the, you mentioned the heritage, it goes back to the question that I, I posed at the end of that book, which was to say, what happens when, you're, when you are the protest and you become the power? What do you do when, you, when so much of who you are is now tied up into the mainstreaming of this country where you're not on the outside anymore, you're very much an insider? And I think that watching what the players have done, especially the Chris Pauls and the LeBron Jameses of the world, they are not activists. They are citizens. They are influential people on the right side of issues, who stand on the right side of issues. And that's very different. And it's a very different attitude from Colin Kaepernick at, in 2016. He didn't call Barack Obama. He did what he did. And so, and he didn't ask permission. So once again, what you're seeing here is you're seeing, you're seeing concerned, influential, extremely wealthy black individuals talking to, you know, talking through mainstream sources about what to do. They're not trying to, you know, matter how much they may get, they may get accused of doing this. They're not trying to burn the system down. They're not trying to do anything like that. They're trying to have a positive, meaningful impact within the parameters of what the mainstream expects from them. Mm. And I know that doesn't sound very much fun. It doesn't sound very radical or, or, or energizing. But if you, I think if we follow what's taking place over the coming weeks and months, we'll see that they are looking for very, very, very established solutions. And I think that there's something else when you add the Obama component to it. Um, I am very sure that at some point that a conversation was had about, hey, keep the pressure on, but don't go too wild, because if we do this right in November, there'll be a new opportunity. And if you do it wrong, no question. No question. Maybe exactly. And if you do it wrong, you know, we're hearing these conversations already that you're energizing his base if you guys go too far. So I would definitely go back to work. No question. It's this, but then that's what's so like the nitroglycerin of this moment too, and this is what what I've written about is that it also does have the potential to pose also a different kind of solution than just waiting for November, like this idea. Well, it of does. It could have gone black. another. Go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. Oh, just this idea of striking for black lives when all other methods since George Floyd was killed seem to have run up against brick walls. Uh, that's something that, you know, in the mindset, in the November mindset, well, that's going to scare suburban voters 
if we start seeing that and, you know, lead to like Trump getting reelected. And so there's there, there's that mindset that's then a counterweight on the other idea, which is maybe instead of reaching out to owners to become social justice warriors overnight and join us in the fight, uh, that it actually the, the solution involves nurses, teachers, postal workers and other people who are traditionally disenfranchised. Yeah, well, that's the romantic labor leader in you. And yes. let's watch and but let's watch what they do. They cling to power. They are the power. This is the exact conversation at the end of the heritage. What happens when the protest becomes the power? The this entire campaign from the democratic standpoint, the entire democratic strategy hasn't been to reach out to those people. It's been to convert the 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 moderates who voted for Trump. So how much can you really, really expect from them? This is, these are the limits of allyship. These are these questions about who. This is this is the reason why I don't look at these these people and expect more than what they give. I don't. I just don't see it. And the reason why I don't see it. LeBron James hasn't been out in the street once. Mm-hmm. LeBron James has been sort of the power behind the throne. He's been. You know, he's been the name credited with some of these different initiatives, but I don't remember seeing LeBron James arm in arm in the street with anyone the way I saw Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson and Carmelo Anthony and Jalen Brown and a lot of these other players. So, I mean, let's let's not forget who we're dealing with here. No, that's right. Um, I guess like it's it's less looking to the athletes to save us and more wanting to see if it's like this electric prod on other aspects of the labor movement to say we have been dormant in this in this fight against it Trumpism, against racism. Mm-hmm. Can it this could. be something that inspires people to actually act? Yeah, it could be if that's the direction that they want to take it in. But the direction that they want to take it in is to call Barack Obama. It's a different yeah, direction. They want to take it. Yeah, what's and that? I said I agree. That's where they want to take it. Yes, and um, so what you, you what would be very helpful is a counterweight, is a counterbalance to somebody who also decides to try to go find those disenfranchised elements and in, engage with them as well. Mm. Well, I, what I what I like about talking about you is that we both understand that this is an open question. And, you know, trying to write in indelible ink at this point in history is a is a fool's game because this is a pencil. You need a pencil on this one with a really, really big eraser because things are going to keep shifting and keep changing. And at the end of the day, you don't want to sound cynical about it. But I think that people how much can you ask and how much should you ask of basketball players? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the thing when I. When when we were thinking about this, you know, yesterday and reading about the different that all the arenas are now going to be voting centers. I'm like, why do you need basketball players to have you think about it in this way to think about think about it? I'm sorry. In this way. At a time when your post office is under siege. And you should be doing this anyway, that the fact the fact that the our elected officials are not very good at their day job and they're not doing this work amplifies what the players are going to do and what the players can do. But let's take a little bit of a step back and, and, and realize once again, they're going to find out what their limits are. 
I do think that there's a very interesting battle taking place, depending on how far they want to take it, as to say, look, you owners contribute to politicians and policies that have put us in this situation. And now we're going to fight you on that. That's a very interesting dynamic, and that's a very interesting battle, because it goes back to what Carmelo Anthony said to me back in 2017. Their billions beat our millions. So I want to see how, I mean, how much, no wonder you have to, you have to try to, you know, encourage the owners to become, you know, prominent in the social justice space because you don't think you can beat them financially, right? You know that you can't beat them financially. So what do we do? We immediately go back to partnership. I don't love that idea because my feeling is, is that protest doesn't ask permission. There's a difference between a statement and a protest. A protest doesn't go directly to Roger Goodell and say, hey, here's what we want to do. Are you okay with that? A protest is, You'll see us when you see us Mm -hmm. and we'll do what we're going to do. And you can react to that and we'll deal with the consequences. It's not to go to Adam Silver and say, hey, guys, we're all considering not playing. So once again, this goes back to my day. I guess what I'm trying to reinforce here is to not expect that much radicalism, even though it looks radical. It's only radical in some ways because the players and the, the structure of professional sports has been so paternalistic that we've become so used to them being lapdogs that even when they show a tiny bit of independence, we get really excited about that. No, that's true. That's real talk. And people are, I think, are desperate for heroes right now. Yeah, um, no doubt. Understandably so. Um, before you go, I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this one question. You're, you're a... Uh, a big Jackie Robinson guy, you know, featured in the Ken Burns documentary about Jackie Robinson. The number 42 is in many of your social media handles. Um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the the passing of Chadwick Boseman uh, to the shock of all of us uh, from colon cancer. And I wanted to know what you thought about his performance in the movie 42 and how he, what he brought to that performance of, of Jack Roosevelt Robinson. Yeah, I was devastated and, and totally shocked. And let's not forget, I, I am one of the biggest Marvel Comics people that you'll meet from a certain generation. And so all of it was very painful. And, and I've got a 16-year-old who sort of grew up on Chadwick Boseman as both 42. We went to that movie together as a Jackie Robinson. And we also, we also of course, love him as, as Black Panther. It there obviously as a reporter the first thing that hit me was the thing that i always say and i tell young reporters this all the time that when people want to keep a secret they can keep a secret so mm. the fact that he had been struggling with this for 4 years and it never leaked and no one knew about this that he had been that he had had stage 3 colon cancer since 2016 was, I thought, was remarkable in terms of the amount of love and protection that the people around him knew not to cross that line, to respect his privacy and to respect his life. 
I thought that was sort of amazing because everyone is shocked about this except the people really close to him because they already knew. And knowing that and knowing him going forward, I, I had a few thoughts. And the other thought that I had was I wanted people to calm down and relax and be kinder and, and to stop with this, you're rich, therefore you have no problems. You don't know what this man was going through. Now you know what this man was going through. And all of this stargazing that we put on people because they're, they're prominent. You don't know what their life is. Have some respect for what their life is. And 43 years old, is, it just makes you want to cry every time you think about it. And so, so those were my thoughts. To his performances as Jackie Robinson, I enjoyed it simply because I thought it was an impossible ask. I mean, how do you recreate Jackie? And I thought he did a really, I thought he did a really good job because he's a movie star. I love the fact that there are certain people. And I know you're a big movie guy, and I'm a big movie guy. There are certain people that when they get on the screen, you have to pay attention to them. He, and he had that. He had it in the eyes. He had it in his cheekbones. He had it in his face, in his in his smile. He had it in, in his movements when he first appears as Jackie. When he when when you see him in Captain America: Civil War and you see him as as T'Challa, you look at him and he, there's a movie star. Some people have that ability to to carry the screen, and he had that. And and for him to have that while carrying this terrible secret and knowledge that he was not going to live a long life and to still be able to perform is, is just really impressive and remarkable uh, to me. It's real talk. Hey, Howard, really do appreciate the time you took with us, man. Thank you so much. No, it's my pleasure, Dave, of course. Yes. Be well. We'll be back right after this with a quick message from the sponsor of this podcast, uh, The Nation Magazine. We'll be back right after this, but first, a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you gotta read. It's The Nation Magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe, and please never forget that when you support The Nation magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now, I've got some choice words about uh, the athlete strikes against racism and racist police violence and the question of labor. Okay, on Thursday night, the New York Mets and Miami Marlins took the field, held a 42-second moment of silence in honor of Jackie Robinson, and then walked off. They left behind a shirt that read Black Lives Matter on home plate. Numerous NFL teams have canceled their practices with the Baltimore Ravens after a four-hour team meeting putting out a remarkable action statement. NBA referees even organized a march in the Orlando bubble, wearing t-shirts that read everyone against racism. Even the National Hockey League, as we discussed, after first ignoring what was happening to the chagrin of many players, canceled a slate of games. Pro athletes have shown themselves willing to fight and be heard. 
Black athletes are saying that they no longer will be a repository of adulation with their uniforms on, but are risked to be killed by police when the uniform comes off. It is a historic moment by any measure, and one without a blueprint. We don't know where this is going or how long it will last, but as of this uh, recording anyway, but folks are already asking what this can actually accomplish beyond raising awareness about the shooting of Jacob Blake. For now, it's centering the conversation in this country on racist police violence and not the gaslighting law and order bombast coming out of the RNC. Frankly, if nothing else comes out of it, this would still be important. But the players want more. Supporters want more. Everyone strangled by the absence of political oxygen in this broken country want more. NBA player leaders want the franchise owners to put some skin in the game. They want the billionaire owners who are not only wealthy but politically connected to every municipality where they have a publicly funded stadium to push for legislation and using their influence to fight back. Now I'm all for extracting concessions from billionaires, but there is another avenue the movement can take. What these players are doing is nothing less than striking for black lives. They're using their power as workers to protest not only the police shooting of Blake and the white supremacist terrorism in Kenosha, but also the fact that, as one player put it, nothing is changing. After a summer of marches, uprisings, and occupations, scant legislation has moved and police still act with impunity. By exercising their power as workers, the players are inspiring an incredibly dormant part of the resistance to racism and Trumpism, the labor movement. If the NBA can shut down in protest of racist police violence, why not other industries? Why not cities? Why not entire sectors of the country's economy? Strikes don't have to be about wages and benefits. There is a long hidden history in this country of striking for human rights, not just bread, but roses. It's a history the players could help revive. This may sound far-fetched, but I can say that I received half a dozen calls from unionists or union officials on Wednesday night telling me that they and their members felt like they had been hit with an electric prod. The idea that everyone in the country was talking about this strike taking place was making so many of these workers feel like they also had power. This isn't just about solidarity. This is about results. If the players want the results they crave, and if the country is as broken as they believe it to be, this is an actual solution to strike against racist police violence, to strike against Trumpism, to strike for black lives. Nothing else has worked, but by withdrawing their labor, the players in the NBA have immediately brought their bosses to the table and launched a national conversation. If that message blares across the land and if labor leaders rise to the occasion and respond with equal courage, we could finally see solutions and not feel like we're all poised with bated breath just waiting for the next hashtag. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and, and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it. But we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. 
trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. We are back. Okay, instead of doing just stand up and just sit down awards this week, although there's, I mean, it's just too much. You know, there are too many people standing up. Stand up! Um, what I want to do is instead play this interview that I just did on Pacifica Radio, WPFW. I interviewed one of the great rebel heroes of sports and struggle, Craig Hodges. Uh, Craig Hodges was a three-time NBA three-point shooting champion. Uh, he was a member of the Chicago Bulls championship teams in the early 1990s, and he was somebody who was drummed out of the NBA for being a sports rebel. He also is somebody who called for a strike of NBA players against racism before the 91 finals in protest after the the beating of Rodney King in Los Angeles, and people thought he was absolutely out to lunch. And now, of course, it's happening. So I had to talk to Craig Hodges. I want you to hear his voice as well. So let's play this interview I just did with the legendary Craig Hodges. Oh, thanks for your patience, folks. We are back on the collision. 89.3 FM WPFW here with Chuck Modiano. And on the line, we have just one of my absolute sports heroes, one of my heroes at the intersection of sports and politics, an absolutely legend, a legendary figure in this space, uh, one-time NBA player, full-time activist, full-time freedom fighter, Craig Hodges. Craig, are you there, sir? Oh, brother, it's good to hear you, man. Thank God for giving us a chance to wake up this morning and, and work on these solutions, man. It's, uh, oh, Artie Thomas has a new, a new thing. It's a new thing. It's a full immersion thing. Oh. It's, it's Afro. Oh, get something on the line there, Craig. That's I got to ask you, Craig. Um, did you ever think you'd see the day when NBA players would get together and say racism is so bad in this country, we are not going to play? You know, and it's um, it's historic. Like I said, man, we wanted to do something back in the day, and and athletes weren't conscious. Now with social media being what it is, and you know, just the pain and suffering. And for me, really looking at it from the real sense, man, this is a spiritual thing that's going on. So nobody really knows the outcome or where we're headed, but we know that we're going in the right direction just by just by brothers being able to stand up courageously like they did yesterday, man. And and not only, you know, not only, you know, like I heard you speaking about Naomi Osaka, and, and it's amazing how people around the world are feeling the vibration of, you know, oppressed people, man, and, and no one is, I don't feel like any nation of people have been more oppressed than us in America, but at the same time, I think just what the brothers did yesterday is going to relieve and bring to the table a lot of discussions that need to have happened years, probably hundreds of years ago, but the fact that it's happening now and our day and time, we're blessed to be here today, brother. Mm. What what makes you think that this... um. Why, why, why this was a breaking point for so many NBA players. I mean, do you think it was just being in that bubble and feeling I isolated think, from what's happening yeah, in the I streets? Think, I think it's a, com- it? a compilation, man, of being in the bubble, seeing the, seeing the struggles that are going on, seeing the atrocities that are being committed, and almost having, you know, it was, it was amazing to me initially when they talked about, yeah, you can go in the bubble and that's going to magnify your platform. And I'm like, 
Nah, that's not going to magnify the platform. What that's going to do is, pull, is basically going to distract everybody's attention away from the issues. And, you know, the more it continues to happen, and, you know, I think to see, you know, police chase someone around the car and then grab them and shoot them at the same time, man, it's, I think on anybody's consciousness, it's a, it's a burden. So now I think the players were able to see that they're able to do something about the issue, man, and, and being able to, if nothing else, bring light to it and light in a way that no one ever expected to see, man. No one ex- ever expected to see multi-million dollar athletes uh, put their careers on the line. <laughs> man, it's something that's uh, eye-opening and hopefully enlightening for their fans and their supporters. Now, you played part of your career in Milwaukee. What, does it surprise you at all that this is all coming out, like, from the Bucks and from the Brewers and from that community in Milwaukee you know, itself? One of the things that I think has a big driving force, man, is, is uh, the Antetokounmpo brothers, man. I feel like I had a chance to work with Tenacious when we were in uh, Westchester with the D-League and very conscious young men. And I think... Um, Giannis having the, the the personality that he has, uh, it's not a national issue, man. It's, it's an international human rights issue, and it's finally being considered that way, I think. And, and the only way, the only reason it's being considered that way is because economics are involved. If economics weren't involved, it would be another day. So I, I truly think that, you know, with the NBA, WNBA, some of the major league baseball and and just um, conscious, righteous people in general standing on the principles of nobody should be oppressed, no one should be, no one should pay taxpayer dollars to be beaten and killed, man. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. when we talk about the founding fathers and taxation without representation is tyrannical, is man, what are we what are we living under? We've been paying taxes for years and years and years, and what has been the effect? You know, we talk about voting. And then we talk about the the legislative end of things when you talk about big pharmaceutical, big companies being able to forge legislation in a way that it's not good for the poor people, it's not good for people in color, uh, colored people, indigenous. It's not. It's not about us. And and now you can see the lines of being. And for me, like you said, man, I was the baby of the movement, so I watched Watergate like it was a cartoon. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That. So for me, all of these different things that are going on, no one could have written this stuff, man. It's just stranger than fiction. So a lot of these things that are happening, I'm telling them from the spiritual plane. So a lot of it is not our battles to fight. So I'm looking at the hurricanes, the fires, and all of that. Those are signs, man. And if we can't, and now you see the brothers make this move, that's another sign that, you know, common. It's karma, man, and that this nation has done a lot of crazy stuff in the past that has been hidden, and now I think uh, the light of truth is starting to be, you know, put in front of people, and we're going to have to address it, man. And so you see the gaslighting that's going on in the Republican convention, and then I watched the uh, Democratic convention last week, and, you know, it's, it's not really reflective, man, of what of what the, the people are feeling on the street, man, so... Something has to happen, and, and this is a good start. Yeah, it, it's a it's a heck of a good start. That's 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 real talk right there. Um, I, I did I did want to ask you. You know, right now the the word is that the NBA players they had a meeting last night. All the players at eight p.m. Uh, 
the Clippers and the Lakers said that the season should just end now, that this should just stop. The bubble has been burst. It's time to go. Although there is talk that they might be meeting with the NBA franchise owners today to find some other solution. Uh, the other players were like, let's take a let's take a, a break and then go back to the playoffs. So there is a divide among the players. Uh, what would you advise at this point if you were in that? Come on, man. You know, with everything going on on the planet and everything going on in this nation, we need to sit down and everybody needs to study. Period. Study, eat, exercise, learn, respect to others. And now is the time for, and you know what's so funny, man, is when you look at the, the lines that are divided and you see the Republicans over here, the Democrats over here, both of them being paid by the same people, and where do we fall in at? And now that's what I'm saying, that the masses, the masses control now. And that's the, that's the beauty of where we're going is that, you know, we have the power to define our new reality. This is a new reality. So I say to the players, kudos, but at the same time, now the work begins. Now the work begins on the creation of a new paradigm. How do we, you know, right now I'm putting my writing together to organize athletes and entertainers and who are about action and unity. And let's, and let's get together. And we got to put funds in place so that those players who want to stand up, should there be some type of um, uh, response back from owners in as far as not giving them any type of contracts, that we're able to do something with them financially. So it's about it's a whole new it's a whole new uh, day, brother. And I, I feel so blessed and honored to have studied what I've studied to be able to be part of the solution. So one of the main things that I'm in the process of today is contacting Dr. John Carlos, getting in touch with Dr. Tommy Smith, Jim Brown, and get our elders involved because they are they are necessary for us to not only know where we're going, but to have proper mentorship and eldership to, to give us some direction and for us to be able to pay the proper respect because none of us would be doing any of this. Without what the brothers did at the Olympics, what Muhammad Ali brought forward, and what Jim Brown and the brothers did in the economic campaign, so you know we have a lot of thinking for people to do. And that the main thing that we have to do as, as men is that we have to apologize to the sisters for not for not standing up at times, but at, the more importantly, just to to apologize them for all the pain that they're catching. Because all the murder, death, and mayhem always come back to a sister who burst the saw. Yeah, I, I don't know if you said the, the WNBA players uh, came out right after the NBA players said they wouldn't be playing. And, you know, they, they both took a knee during the anthem and then they left the court. Uh, yeah, the WNBA players have been leading on this, too, from, from jump. No question about it, man. And, that, and, you know, and I just look at it, you know, we stop and we look at our sojourn in America whether you want to take it from the African side or the Native American side, you know, the oppression is, you know, the sisters have been more oppressed than anybody, man. So when I see the rise of, of black women in, in politics and sport and seeing the leadership role that they're taking, you know, that's, that's the type of, those are, that's leadership that you can follow because, you know, it's taking you in the right direction and which, how can you help it? So that's been my position over the last, really since this whole, COVID thing went down is that, you know, I've been, you know, partnering with sisters and seeing how I can be of service because 
They are the real mm-hmm. backbone in this nation when we stop and when we're talking about work stoppage. If we consider all over America, not that brothers have taken a taken a a somewhat title and exemplary role and example of, of work stoppage, now we might be able to ask our sisters who go into like where I'm at, I'm in Chicago right now. From the south suburbs of Chicago, the train that runs downtown Chicago, if the sisters didn't get on the train or public transportation to go into the city, it was shut down, man. And that's basically all over America. With black women decided to have a work stoppage, which one of the things is they have a true right when you stop and look at Sandra Bland, the Breonna Taylor. They really have a reason to say, you know what, we're pulling our energy out of this system until changes are being made and that we can have executive roles in the executive suite without us having to try to go through these movements. Hey, can, can you equal the pay? No, no. We can equal the pay just by pulling your energy out and starting new. And that's what I feel like now is that there are whole new paradigms that have to come into play. So you're going to have to talk to – so at one point in time, my brother wrote the book, uh, uh, White – uh, black labor, white wealth, or whatever it was, you know, that that paradigm has, has to shift now. And I think the NBA, and I told people when when the uh, COVID came down and the brothers first and when uh, Utah came up with COVID, I said, I said, you know, sport has to lead the road and the way for this thing to reopen because in order to have the distraction that people need, you have to have sport and play. So you have to have that entertainment piece to be able to get people where they had a a relaxed moment. So it, it wasn't it wasn't surprising to me just from a economic end of those who control things that you you do a documentary that's twenty years old and you bring it out in the height of a pandemic and you have the most iconic athlete ever produced other than Muhammad Ali and you promote this thing during a pandemic. What is What's going on for real? How does all of this come about 20 years later? And then, once again, I didn't get interviewed. You're interviewing everybody. But it's, it's yeah. just it's, it's so calculated. So when I look at America right now, if anybody has any sense of what's going on, you can see that through this garbage that's going on in Kenosha. You shoot a brother, then you allow a 17-year-old with a long arm walk right by police. We see police throwing water bottles mm. to vigilantes. Come on, man. If you can't see that those who, who are in control and are afraid to share their power are now trying to cause this thing to boil over into a race war. And I'm telling my brothers and sisters here, especially in Chicago, we got we to gotta hold down on, we got to get to studying. Our weapon is our truth, and our truth is our weapon. And that we speak truth to power, we can't we can't out military the most militaristic mind on the face of the earth, and that's not that's not what our mission. We got to leave that to the creator to do. It's some battles that we don't fight, and that's where I am right now. Is that I'm just sitting still, brother, writing these ideas and and trying to get them to as many people and see if it's something that will stick and it's something that these young brothers and sisters want because we're in eldership now. It's not. It's not really anything I can do from the energy point like I was in my 20s and 30s to be able. It's on it's on them to do what they're doing, but at the same time, we as elders have to give guidance where guidance is due and, and try to, you know, be that vision in their blind area. You know, Craig Hodges, I, I'd be so remiss if I didn't uh, call, like, give credit to your prophetic <laughs> fire. Um 
from 30 years ago on this question of withdrawing labor to fight for racial justice, because people should know that history if they're maybe hearing you for the first time speak and only know you from the basketball court. You proposed this for the 91 NBA finals between the Bulls and the Lakers, the two most high profile teams in the land that withdrawing labor as a way to make a statement against racism was important. Did you not? So my question is, can you tell that story? And then also, once again, um, how does it feel to see the fruition of that idea? You know, and, and once again, um, we, like I said, I'm a baby of the movement. And we were taught to write our politicians, our leaders, and all of that. So when we had a chance to win, I wanted to make sure that I wrote something on behalf of those who wouldn't get a chance to come to the White House, my mother, uh, the organization that she uh, represented, and, and all of those freedom fighters who wanted, wanted to do what I did in as far as meeting the president. So it was in line with that. And being being on a world championship team and, and talking prior to us winning the championship, you know, I look back at what Jerry West and Elgin Baylor were able to do during during the All-Star game back in the 60s where they really formed our union out of a basic, threat to boycott the All-Star game. So precedent had been set. And as far as even what the brothers did yesterday, that precedent was set with Jerry West and Elgin Baylor back in the day, man. That, that work stoppage works. You know, the boycotts during the 60 shows that it works. So my mindset was as Magic and, and MJ, the two highest-profile players in the league, that if we sat down during that world, our first world championship run in 1991, uh, owners would have to take a, uh, a second look at this thing and maybe we could utilize our leverage to bring, to get more people in the executive suite, to get more ownership opportunities, more general managers, more coaches, and the like. And that was the platform then. And, you know, once again, oppression, oppression brings about a certain amount of pressure for things to change. And I think yesterday was that flipping of the switch, man, where Nothing is going to be the same in America anymore, man, or around the world, because people see it for what it is now, and they're seeing that they have an opportunity to make something happen that's um, powerful in its, in its uh, existence, man. So we're lucky to be alive today and to have a part to play in it. Oh, the voice you're hearing is that of Craig Hodges. The book, if you've never read it, is called Long Shot. It's the Craig Hodges story. It's absolutely amazing. People should check that out. Craig Hodges, I really do appreciate it. Thanks so much for taking the time. Hey, brother, you know, yes. anytime for you, man. And, uh, you know, I just received my script yesterday, so we got the documentary and, and movie in the hopper, man. So things are moving forward, brother. As they should, these stories have never been more important. So thank you so much. Thank you. Keep fighting. Uh, thank you. Everybody be, everybody be safe out there, man. Peace and God bless you. God bless. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening this week, uh, a historic week at the intersection of sports and politics. Um, if you want to listen to more of the Edge of Sports podcast, all you got to do is uh, go to um, iTunes. You should subscribe. Uh, you should leave a comment. You should give us a rating. All of that stuff helps. Uh, thank you so much to my producer, David Tigabu. Thank you to everybody out there who's in the fight. Uh, wear your masks. Stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace.
When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.